Uh, so we're, we're talking about Noah. So if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Tony talked about uh, Abraham. And so we, we're going to rewind a little bit. And so we jumped over uh, verse 7. Uh, we're going to back up and look at verse 7 tonight. And so what we're in tonight, of course, is Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, the most uh, commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. And so this is a list or it's a, a litany of people that the writer of Hebrews is, is giving us an illustration of what faith looks like. And so there's many different people here that are listed. And so as we begin to journey through uh, these steps, I know a few weeks ago uh, we covered Enoch. And uh, then, of course, Abraham was last week. And so this week we're talking about Noah. Now, you are familiar with Noah. I'm sure that you've probably at some point in your upbringing, you heard the story of Noah and the ark. And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to look at some aspects of uh, what Noah did. Uh, big picture is, of course, that God told Noah to do something, and he did it, and he built an ark. It was a giant ship, and uh, so we're going to jump into that. So let's start by reading verse 7, and then we'll, we'll dive in tonight. So by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so the writer of Hebrews here in verse 7 starts out by saying, by faith, Noah, and then he talks about at the end that Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so as we journey through faith, we're talking about Noah here tonight. And so Noah, according to the Bible, is described as being righteous and blameless. Noah is described as being righteous and blameless. So Noah was someone who walked with God. Now, if you look at the lineage of Noah, and you look at, uh, you know, obviously he was kin to Enoch. And the Bible says that Enoch walked with God, that uh, Enoch pleased God, that he walked with God, and he was no more. And so we see, uh, and we're going to talk a little, about, uh, a little bit about that lineage here uh, towards the end. But we see that there's this uh, uh, lineage of people that are walking with God, that have found favor with God. And uh, that God is blessing. And so we get to chapter 6 in Genesis. And uh, it's a familiar passage of Scripture where uh, the Bible says that mankind is doing things essentially that are against God. And uh, so we see in chapter 6 that uh, they have become advanced in warfare and that they're doing things that uh, do not please God. And so God decides that uh, what he's going to do is he is going to eradicate humanity. And he's going to preserve the remnant of humanity through Noah. And so in the latter part of chapter 6, uh, which is a fascinating chapter in the Bible, uh, what God does is he begins to reveal this plan to Noah. Now Noah uh, is someone that God chose uh, through uh, you know, God's sovereignty. God chose to save Noah. Uh, God chose to work in the life of Noah. And uh, as we'll see here a little bit later, it easily it easily could have been anyone else in this position. So in other words, uh, God is going to accomplish his purposes. And if it wasn't through Noah, it could have easily been through someone else. But for Noah's sake, uh, the Bible says that Noah was righteous and that he was blameless. And so Noah walked with God. And so Noah desired to please God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so the things that Noah was doing, certainly Noah was not perfect, uh, but what Noah was doing was favorable to God. It says, these are the generations of Noah, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. And so again, uh, just like the lineage on down the line from Noah with his um, kinfolk Enoch, Noah was also someone who walked with God. And so as we talk about this righteous and blameless lifestyle, this describes right conduct that stems from being declared righteous by faith. Because we know what the Bible teaches in the New Testament, that it's not works that uh, declare righteousness for the believer, right? It's not, we're, we're saved by faith, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so we know that it's not something that I've done, it's not something that you did that warranted salvation, but that God granted us salvation uh, because of his grace and mercy. And in doing so, we were declared righteous by the work of Jesus. Like he, knew, knew, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become what? What? The righteousness of God. And so because of what Jesus did, we're declared righteous. And so this conduct that is um, 
identified with Noah stems from being declared righteous. So Noah wasn't perfect, and God identified or acknowledged that. But God, because of what God, how God works, Noah was declared righteous because of something that God had done in his life. And so that's what, for, what caused Noah to have or to be described by someone who lived with right conduct. You see, this was spoken of Noah because of his godly life that flowed from him being justified by faith. This flowed from him being justified by faith. So think about your own life and think about how you and I walk with God. The Bible says that uh, because of the fact that we are slaves to righteousness, Pastor Tony talked about that in Romans chapter 6, chapters 5 and 6 this morning. Uh, he talked about in Romans chapter 5 how uh, we, be, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, so it wasn't based on our merit. And then in chapter 6, uh, the Bible says that we go from being slaves to sin to being slaves to righteousness. And so, you know, with Noah, we see this godly lifestyle that flowed from him being justified. It's the same thing that happens for you and me. Because here's what happens. When we talk about being liberated or being free in Christ, what that means is that there's nothing that I'm going to do that would cause me to be saved. In other words, to warrant salvation. So it's God who grants that. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. Based on what Jesus did, right? Not what I accomplish. And so if, I'm, if I don't live under the constant fear, and we've talked about this in Hebrews, we're under the Old Testament sacrificial system, I had to be declared righteous by my sacrifice, right? And so I had to go and sacrifice in order to be free from the guilt of sin. And then I sinned again, and so then there was new guilt. But because of what Jesus did, this is why the whole study is called Infinitely Better, because of what Jesus did, I don't live with the constant guilt of wondering if my sin has been forgiven, Right, the Bible says that God has washed my or separated my sins as far as the east is from the west. And so that's what salvation does for us as believers today. On the other side of the cross is that Jesus has taken the penalty of sin uh, for us and he paid it. And so now I can live my life not under fear that I can lose my salvation. Right, So if I can't gain it by works, then I can't lose it by works. John 10, 29, no man can pluck you from the Father's hand, right? And so if God has me eternally in his hand, and God, there's nothing that can take me out of the hand of God, then guess what that frees me to do? It frees me to live a life that declares the goodness of God, right? And so you're not living under the guilt of condemnation anymore, because you say what Jesus accomplished for me that I couldn't accomplish for myself, and I can't lose that. And so I'm free to live, even in the, the mistakes that I'll make, I'm still free to live as a representative or an ambassador for the kingdom of God because I'm declared righteous because of what Jesus did. That's good stuff. And so that's what freedom, when you hear people talk about freedom in the gospel and liberty, and the Bible says uh, where there is uh, Jesus, there is liberty. Well, why is that? It's because it is not contingent or dependent upon you or me to keep what God has already given me. And so what I can do is I can, I can try to make mistakes. I can do things, uh, I can do things that, I, that are beyond my ability, and I may fail at doing those things. But it gives me the freedom to be able to try to do those things. You know, we talked about just tonight in, in our D group about audacious prayers for God, that we would do things, that, could, that we would pray that God would do things in our life that would only be explained by the move or act of a supernatural God. And so this life that Noah lived, it was a godly life that fr- flowed from the fact that God saved him, that God redeemed him, that God gave him eternal Life. You see, God, uh, Noah did not find favor with God because he was righteous. God wasn't scanning the earth and he saw Noah down there and said, Now that guy has it together. I'm going to give him favor. I'm going to grant good things to happen in his life. That was one of the questions on the back of your handout this morning with your family discussion guide is uh, about un- the, the, the blessings of God going beyond what you expected, right? That was one of your discussion questions. So Noah didn't find favor with God because he was righteous, but because he found favor with God, he lived a righteous life. It's totally the opposite. Because he found favor with God, he lived a righteous life. So because of the fact that you have been given the opportunity to follow Jesus, not based on your merit, but based on the merit of Jesus Christ, 
So based upon that fact that you have been, you have been given favor with God, Romans chapter 5 talks about being at peace with God. And so we're at peace with God because of the fact that we're not anymore at war with God because sin separates us. The wages of sin is death. And so that separated us from God. And so through Jesus, now we have found favor with God. So now we're free to live a life that is righteous. And so Noah is the first. Noah is the first of the attested witnesses we see here in chapter 11 (coughs) whose faith meant taking God at his word. A faith that is clearly forward-looking. And so God told Noah something that would happen in the future, which we're about to get into. He said, hey, guess what? It's about to rain, and I'm going to need you to do something. And so we see this was a forward-looking faith. Now, think about your faith. Everything in your life based on faith is forward-looking. I mean, mean, think about it as as a life of a believer, uh, there's many things that we place our faith in as far as uh, the, the elements of who Jesus is and what surrounds uh, eternity and salvation and a relationship with God. Uh, but one of the big ones is heaven, right? And so that we as believers, we believe that what will allow us to have an opportunity uh, to spend eternity with God is the relationship that was granted with God through Jesus. And so because of Jesus, I can have a relationship with God, which means that I'll get to spend an eternity with God. And so by faith, we look forward to that, which is why often I say that, you know, I said it Wednesday night, that I hope tonight is the night, I hope during this service, Jesus comes back. That'd be the absolute most amazing thing that will ever happen in any of our lives is the fact that Jesus will return. And so when that happens, and again, I hope it happens tonight, uh, that's what we look forward to. It's our faith looking forward. But by faith, we also look forward to other things. Right, And so with anticipation, every Sunday morning, every Saturday night, I look forward to uh, Sunday mornings and the fact that we're going to come together corporately and that we're going to worship and we're going to lift the name high of Jesus and together we're going to talk about the things that God is doing in our life. It's forward-looking. That's what faith is. You see, what faith, by definition, as we talked about earlier uh, in chapter 11, is a present belief in a future certainty. It's a present belief in a future certainty. That's what faith is. Remember Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 said it is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. It is not faith if you see it. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have what? Have not yet seen. So faith is a present belief in a future certainty. It has to have something to believe. Faith has to have something to believe. And so when we say that we have faith in eternity, we have faith in Jesus, what we're saying is that we believe by faith that forward-looking there will come a day to which Jesus will return or we will pass away from this life and that we will come face-to-face with God. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And so we'll stand face-to-face with God. And based upon what we did with the fact that Jesus said in John 14, 6, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him. And so based on that fact, when we stand before God, what we did with Jesus will determine whether or not we spend eternity with God or not. Right? That's what the Bible teaches. And so we have to have something to believe in. You can't have faith if you don't believe in anything. So the author gives us this definition in verse 1 by saying it's the evidence of things that we do not see. It's the evidence of things that we do not see. You see, that's what faith is. It's indicative of the things that, that are not before us, the things that we can't see with our eyes. So now here we see what the author does is he introduces Noah into the hall of faith by stating Noah's faith in events as yet unseen. Things that are future, that are forward-looking, that have not yet taken place. He introduces Noah. So now we get to Noah and we talk about what Noah did. Now, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 17... It says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Now, there's uh, many opinions on this. I'll tell you what mine is. 
Uh, you know, there's theories that say, well, it was just a, a geographically controlled flood, that it was only, you know, there weren't you know, as many people certainly then as there are now, and so it was only this uh, narrow scope of area or region. It was a regional flood. I don't believe that. Uh, there's, you know, some theory, there's many theories out there that adhere to uh, things uh, of, the, of the like with that, but according to chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And so I choose to believe that based on what the Bible says, that it was an entire earth flood. Entire earth flood. So he says, I will bring... I will bring a flood of waters. And so this is something that hasn't happened before. So imagine, if you will, now we rewind and we're back to Noah's day. And Noah's out, you know, gardening or doing whatever he's doing. And God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, I found favor. You found favor in my eyes. And uh, I am going to preserve you. And I'm going to destroy all of humanity. Okay? I'm going to destroy all of humanity. Now, we'll see later on in Genesis, if you read through Genesis, you'll see that later on with Abraham and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Abraham intercedes and says, if you can find 50, if you can find 40, if you can find 10, you know the story. If you can find 10 righteous people, will you spare the city? And, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And so God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, guess what? I'm going to destroy the earth by flood. And I'm going to preserve you and your family. And so there's eight people that are going to be on the ark. And I'm going to preserve you. Now, this flood, I know you don't know what that means, but it's going to be a lot of water that's going to fall from the sky, so much so that the water will then be, begin to accumulate, which, again, you've never seen before. And it will rise up to the point to where everyone who is on the earth that is not in an ark will die. Okay, by the way, I remember you don't know what an ark is. And so he begins to tell him, this is what an ark is, and this is how big the ark will be. And, you know, there's, uh, there's actually a replica, I think, in Kentucky of Noah's ark. And uh, there's a couple of, when I went to seminary in Virginia, uh, they have a building on campus at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. And it is the dimensions of Noah's ark. It's massive. And, uh, and so he says, you're going to build this ark, you're going to build this ship. And it will come, the floods will come, and it will destroy everything that is on the earth. And so the unseen for Noah is a catastrophic flood. It's a flood that will cover everything, that will drown everyone that is not on the ship with Noah, that's not on the ark with Noah, and they will all die. And so this unseen is an event that will take place for Noah far into the future as we will see. But Noah believed it, right? God told Noah, we'll, we'll see here in just a minute, God told Noah and Noah said, okay, you say it's going to rain. I don't really know what that is. You want me to build an ark. I've never seen one, but God, you told me to do it. And so by faith, I'm going to do that. So he, in his mind, he believed what God would say. Now, it is the same for you and me today, right? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and death is separation from God. And that, that separation from God is for those who do not follow Jesus, right? And so for whoever uh, calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But the opposite of that is those who don't call upon the name of the Lord will what? Not be saved. Right? And so that's separation from God. And so we understand that there will be a catastrophic event that will take place in the future. And the Bible talks about it in many different ways. The separation of, of the wheat and the tare. The separation from the sheep and the goats. Those who follow Jesus and those who don't. There will be a catastrophic event that will take place. And by faith... Guess what? By faith, every one of us believe that. And so that's why as a follower of Jesus Christ, we say, well, I don't know how it all is going to go down, and I don't completely understand every bit of that, but there's one thing that I do know. There was a man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago that's historically and biblically proven to be true, that his tomb is empty because on the third day he said, I have defeated death. And so by faith we say, I will follow that man. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And so whatever may happen... Whatever may happen, no man can pluck you from the Father's hand, John 10, 29. Whatever may happen, I'm with Jesus, right? And so if the world ends up ever how it destroys, ever how that happens, I don't really care, to be honest with you. Because whether I die a natural death or whether I have an accident or whether Jesus comes back, I by faith believe, forward-looking, that there will come a day where I'll stand face-to-face -face with Jesus, my Savior, because I place my faith in Him. 
And so Noah said, okay, there's this catastrophic event that's going to take place. And I don't really understand, God, what that means. And I don't really know what an ark is, but I believe you. And so I'm going to do what you told me to do. This divinely orchestrated supernatural event was actually judgment on humanity. It was because of all of the things that took place in the beginning of chapter 6 and uh, of Genesis chapter 6. And we've talked about it uh, some in you know, a few series that we've done. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 6, we would spend hours talking about what that is uh, in the beginning. But suffice it to say, humanity had advanced to the point to where they were, uh, everything was evil. And so God said, I'm going to destroy humanity. And so not only was Noah go, uh, to believe that a flood uh, was coming, but this was to be a flood not seen by anyone before or anyone after. Right? Because we know we have the advantage of the lens of history looking back. So we know that God said, I'm not going to do that ever again. So even though it's been raining a lot, like today, it's not going to flood. So we're safe. Yeah, unless you live on John Clark Road, and then it's always flooding there, right? But, but it's not going to flood. And so we know, based on what the Word of God says, that the promise that there will not be uh, a destructive, catastrophic flood. And how do we know that? Well, the rainbow, right? Isn't that what the rainbow teaches us? And so not only was Noah to believe that it was coming, but that no one had ever seen it and no one ever would. Now talk about an event. I mean, that's a big deal, right? And so this flood would, in fact... Wipe out all of mankind. But there was a way that he and his family to, uh, were able to escape. No, I'm going to, everybody's going to drown. But, but, it reminds you of Ephesians, right? It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, given into our passions. And then it says, but God, rich in mercy, right? That's what happened for us. He told Noah, hey, guess what? I'm going to destroy I'm going to destroy the earth. Everyone that lives on the earth will perish. But if you get on the ark, you will live. And so God made a way for Noah to live. Now, this is not like an ark that you can order on Amazon, right? Noah didn't go inside and dial up the Internet and, uh, you know, try to see if Amazon had a two-day delivery on an ark. No, that's not what happened. He didn't go down to the local Bass Pro Shop and pick out an ark. You know, it would have been easy for Noah to do that, but it's not what happened. No, he said, okay, an ark. Now, let me get my brain around this ark that you're talking about. And so God gives him the dimensions of the ark. And so Noah had never seen this before. Now, I make fun of, of the you know, Bass Pro Shop because Noah had never seen this before, okay? As best we can tell, there was not a local ark store. And so Noah had to believe that God was telling him something that was going to take place that was in the future. And so what faith is, is it is belief, and then it's trust. I believe it, and I trust that it's the best. I trust that it will happen. I trust that it will come to pass. Now, you know, I don't know, and we're not privy to the internal thoughts of what happened uh, in Noah's mind when God told him this. I can imagine maybe a few thoughts crossed his mind. You know, I, one of the first thoughts that I would have if I were Noah is, why me? You know, why, why is this? You know, maybe Noah didn't know at the time that it was such a monumental thing, but here we are thousands of years later talking about the fact that only eight people were saved in spite of the catastrophic flood that took place. And so maybe, maybe Noah didn't understand the implications of everything in the moment, but he trusted. And he knew that, that God was going to do what was best because the Bible says that Noah was righteous. And so Noah trusted God to the point that it caused him to act. Noah trusted God to the point that it caused him to act. You see, our society has tricked people into believing that religion is sufficient. That you can say you believe something, that you can identify with something, like Alabama fans, right? You can identify with something and not really, that was a joke, it's okay. That you can identify with something, right? You can say, oh, I believe that, and you can identify with it, but you don't ever have to act on it. That's what the world says. Oh, you, you must, you, you're a good person if you go to church. 
that you can just identify with something, and that based on that identification, that you won't be able to do anything that uh, you know about that as far as you know just identifying it. But you don't have to act. You don't have to have any any trust in it. That's what society tells us today. That the faith in which the world tries to sell is a faith that doesn't do anything. That's why most of our Baptist churches, and I emphasize the word most, that's why most of our Baptist churches are full of people that are a mile wide and an inch deep. That they couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper sack theologically because they really don't know what they believe because they think they've done good enough just by showing up. And that's why 10% of the people do 90% of the work. It's because their faith is not causing them to act. It's that they're not engaged in their faith. They're not doing anything to prove that they actually believe it. They just want to self-identify with what's popular. And unfortunately today, following Jesus is becoming less and less and less accepted, right? But faith causes you to act. If you say you believe something, then you, you act on that. That's what real faith is. And so here's how Noah responded. This is what Noah did. To act on his faith, he responded obediently to God's word. He responded obediently to God's word. God said, this is what I want you to do, and Noah did it. He responded to it. So when, you're, when you read the word of God, when you spend time in the word of God, when you read something that is a commandment of the word of God, what do you do with that? Because this is what and it will pick on most Baptist churches. This is what most Baptist churches do. They read the Word of God. They come together on a Sunday morning, and they hear the Word of God, hopefully. And, and, and they, or they read it on their own, and they say, okay, well, this is what the Word of God says for me to do. And that is amazing, and I can quote it, and I can tell you all the things that are surrounding it, and the verses before and the verses after. I can tell you all the context of what the Word of God says to do. But there is no response to it obediently. Because if it were, we wouldn't live in the world that we live in today. That's proof enough. All right, I mean, people wouldn't be passing these silly laws and doing all these stupid things that they're doing. Because why? Because they would be responding obediently to the Word. We don't need new laws. We have the Word of God. God's already told us what we ought to do. But yet, because we're not doing it, we think, well, you know, we do need this. Or, you know what, we do need this. And so we're just not responding. Faith causes you to respond obediently to the Word of God if you really believe what you say you believe. So Noah responded, but moreover, he also began to make practical preparations. Practical preparations for the day when the Word of God would come true. So if you say you believe that there will come a day when Jesus will return, you will make practical preparations for that, right? Or if you believe what the Bible says, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, you will make practical preparations for that, right? And so if we, if we believe what we say we believe, then we will act on that. We will respond obediently and we'll make practical preparations. You see, faith is only faith when it is followed by obedience, Faith is only faith when it is followed by obedience. When we obediently follow what God has instructed us to do, that is what real faith is. You see, what happened with Noah is he believed that the flood would come. And he believed that the ark would save him and his family. He believed it. God said, there will come a flood the earth will be uh, flooded with water. You've never seen it before. It's never going to happen again. Only eight people are going to live. It's you and your family. Get on the ark. And Noah believed that. And he believed that the ark was the way in which he would be saved. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that again for in, in terms of today. Parallel that to today. Noah believed the flood would come, and he believed the ark would save him and his family. Noah didn't offer alternatives to God. Noah didn't say, well, what if we build a really tall house? God, what if we learn how to scuba dive? He didn't offer alternatives to God. God told him what to do, and he said, okay, you said an ark is going to save me. I'm going I'm to build an ark. That's what I'll do. Practical preparations by responding obediently to the Word of God. But what we do in our world today is we look at the Word of God and we say, okay, you tell me I should love my neighbor. You tell me that I should put others before myself. You tell me that I should love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what you command me to do. But, uh, you know, there's, there's really this other thing over here that I think would work better. So why don't we just do this instead? 
right? And so we offer alternatives, and we say, well, God, what if I do this instead of what you've called me to do? Noah said, oh, an ark? Okay, yes, and that's how I'm going to be saved? Okay, I'll do that. I mean, doesn't that make sense? I mean, it makes complete sense looking back that, well, why wouldn't he build an ark? But in the middle of it, like we're in the middle of the world and culture in which we live, we see everyone is offering alternatives which are insufficient to following after God. You see, Noah obeyed because, not because he dreaded the consequences of disobedience, but because of the sweet reverence that he had for God. Look at what the verse says. It says, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He obeyed not because he was afraid of God, but he obeyed because he revered God. Now, I I talked a, a lot about this Wednesday night. What does the reverence of God look like in your life? What, what does that look like in your what, how How do you revere the Word of God, for instance? Well, I mean, we have 66 books written over a span of a little over 1,500 years by, you know, 40-plus authors, perfect, inerrant, infallible Word of God. I mean, think about it. This is how, so when, and I shared this Wednesday night, when scribes would copy the Word of God, they would have a reader in the scriptorium, and he would read, in, in Hebrew, he would read every line that the scribes were copying. And so they would copy the Word of God. And so the way that some of the copies were made uh, by the scribes is they would have the reader who would stand up and he would read a line of Hebrew, okay? And when he would read it, it, it all had a number. So every, uh, every vowel had, uh, it was a space. And so he would say, okay, on this line, on line one, there's 27 spaces or whatever the number was. And so he would say, everyone that is making a copy, all the scribes, count your numbers. How many spaces do you have on line one? And if there was 27 spaces that he read on line one, if there was a scribe in the room who did not have 27 spaces, so he had 26 or 28 or whatever, that scribe was dismissed for the day and their copy was destroyed. At whatever point they were at, they were dismissed for the day and their copy was destroyed. Now, when they would come to God, Yahweh, when they would write Yahweh down, they would use a pen that which was never used before. And they would write God's name, and then they would throw the pen away. Reverence for God and His Word. Now, I, I know we live in a society where Bibles are abundant, and I'm thankful for that. It's the number one best-selling book of all time, and that's amazing. But, you know, we ought to treat it like it is the very Word of God. That we ought not bebop up into the presence of God and think that God owes us something and that he's got he's to give us what we ask for or that it's just some flippant thing that we've got the Word of God and maybe I'll spend time with God and read it and maybe I won't and maybe I'll toss it in my back seat or maybe it'll spend the week in my floorboard or whatever. You see, when we think about reverence for God, I don't think we so much talk about that anymore. Because here's the deal. If you have a copy of the Koran, guess what you have to do? It has to be on the top shelf, and nothing can be on top of it, ever. You can't allow anything to be on top of it. Now, we're talking about that versus the Word of God. And yet, just like I described, we all have 30 copies of multiple versions, and yet we're not as reverent as the Islams are uh, over the Koran. Why are we not reverent towards God? Why don't we spend uh, time preparing to go into worship? Well, we come in here, I mean, we're all guilty of this, so I'm not, but we come in late sometimes, we leave early. We're, we're, not, we're not being reverent to the presence of God. We take the presence of God for granted. I mean, we read with Noah that God spoke to Noah and told him how he could be saved. We're like, man, that is a great story. I wish God would speak to me, but is that really what you want? Do you want the holy God of the universe to really tell you about your life? You see what I'm saying? Because we built our own shell in believing that we've got it all figured out. In reality, we don't. We are so far from where God intends for us to be, and it starts with reverence. I mean, if you read in Exodus, when, when Moses is up on the mountain and God's given him the Ten Commandments, God said this, don't let anybody near the mountain. I don't even want animals grazing at the foot. Isn't that what it says? That's reverence for the presence of holy God. 
But yet for us, it's like, well, you know, I, I don't know, God. I sure hope the preaching's good tonight. I hope God, you know, the Spirit of God shows up. Me too. But we ought to be prepared for that, right? That we ought to be, re- that's what, when, with the Lord's Supper, the Bible says that we don't just approach it flippantly, but that we, we come before God with a clean heart, right? That we come before God and we, we uh, try to right any wrongs with the brother that we have before we participate in that. So the question is, are we really living reverent lives towards God? Noah was very reverent according to Scripture. You see, reverent fear is the only appropriate response to the justice of God. Listen, don't don't mistake the delay of the justice of God of the absence of that. You know, this morning, the silence of God is not indicative of his absence. Well, don't delay, don't, uh, don't associate the delaying of the justice of God with his absence. Because there will come a day. The Bible says that you will give an account, I will give an account for every idle word that is spoken. And so, for us, reverent fear is the only appropriate response to the justice of God. You see, at the core of an obedient heart is a holy reverence for God. That we don't take for granted the fact that we live in the greatest nation in the world. That we have liberty and freedom to spend time together corporately studying the Word of God. That we can have as many copies as we want. That it's not illegal to possess a Bible when in many nations across the globe it is. And yet for us it's like, well, you know, that's why I'm an American. Well, no, you didn't choose that. God put you here. You had nothing to do with it. You see, God, the Bible says that Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Genesis 6, Genesis 7, 5. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. God told Noah to do it, and Noah did it. He had a holy reverence for God. And so this reverence caused him to act. True faith always acts. God told him to do it. He did it. God told him to do it. He did it. So in Genesis chapter 6, I want to give you some food for thought here tonight. In Genesis chapter 6, we see the increasing corruption on earth. And we see in Genesis chapter 6 the the story of how this all came about. Now, Noah, when God told Noah to build the ark, it took Noah 120 years to complete it. That's a long time. 120 years. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. As I was studying this, I asked myself this question. What have I done faithfully for 120 years? <laughs> right? Okay, so let's, let's make it easy. What have I done faithfully for five years? What have I done faithfully for 10 years? I, I was, I've been saved for 21 years this past February. So what have I done faithfully for 10 years? What have, what have you done faithfully for 15 years? What have you done faithfully for five months? I don't know. Pick the time. What are you faithful at doing? N- Noah said, okay, you want me to build something that no one even knows what it is. I've never seen an ark. And in 120 years, it's going to rain. Think about that. Now do you see why the Bible says that Noah was righteous and blameless? He was obedient for 120 years. So what is it in our lives that we can say, well, I've been faithful to this for 20 years or 10 years or 40 years, whatever the number is. Imagine all that took place during that time. Noah begins to build the ark. His neighbors come over. Hey, I noticed you got a shipment of wood in. What are you building? I'm building an ark. Oh, really? What's that? It's a giant ship. What's a ship? It's a, it's a bunch of wood put together that floats. Oh, okay. And uh, who told you to do that? Uh, God told me to do it. Well, uh, why, why are you doing that again? Well, there's going to be a flood. What's a flood? Well, it's going to rain a lot. What's rain? You see what I'm saying? Like all these things that Noah has to explain. And so I can imagine that after like a few thousand times of saying that, Noah said, lots of water, you're going to die, right? 
I mean, that's basically, he just summarized, like, I'm not telling you anymore. We're not talking about this ark. Lots of water, you're going to die. And so he begins to declare, the Bible says this, look, in, in the very first part, uh, at the very last part, it says, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world. How did Noah condemn the world? Because of his belief. It was not because of his condemnation on them. Noah didn't say, because you all weren't approached by God, you're all going to die and I'm going to live. That's not Noah's condemnation. Noah's condemnation was because he was obedient and they were disobedient. And so when we follow Jesus, there is the separation of those who follow Jesus and those who don't. It doesn't make me better than someone else that I follow Jesus. It makes me obedient that I follow Jesus, right? And so the separation or the condemnation for those that do not follow Jesus comes by the fact that there are people who are following Jesus. Does that make sense? And so that's the the separation that was created with Noah is that Noah said, okay, an ark, I'll do it. 120 years, I'm in. Not everybody else believed that. Only eight people, again, were on the ark. And so as you study Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, let me give you a couple food for thought here. In in Genesis 6, 3, the Bible says that my spirit, the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. That's what Genesis chapter 6, verse 3 says. And so you may have heard some of these uh, theories, but some people believe that that's where God shortened the lifespan of humanity, right? We had Enoch, and we had uh, Adam, and we had uh, Lamech, and we have Methuselah. Everybody's familiar with Methuselah, lived 969 years. And so everybody's familiar with that. And so there's, again, there's many theories on this, but uh, that, well, God shortened man's life because of sin, and so... Uh, Some people suggest that maybe it was atmospheric compression, uh, that because when the rain uh, broke the layer of of heaven, uh, the layer of the heavens that that causes rain, that it changed the atmosphere. And so the pressure or the compression, the atmospheric pressure changed the ability uh, for human flesh to survive a certain period. There's many theories on this. And so we've always thought or believed that, well, you know, it's 120 years is the max life, but is it? Because if you look on the other side of the flood, Abraham was born, right? And Abraham lived 175 years. So is it possible that this is not the number of years in which man will be confined by, but is this the number of years that it will be from Genesis 6-3 until the ark is completed and the floodwaters come? Is that possible? You see, Enoch named his son Methuselah. Now, there's a couple of different transliterations for what Methuselah means. Uh, man of javelin, worshiper of Salem. Uh, but there's also a Hebrew interpretation of Methuselah that means that when he is dead, it will come. Based on the construction of Methuselah's name. When he is dead, it will come. Methuselah lived 969 years, right? Everybody knows that. Longest living person ever to live. So what is going to come when he is dead? Well, if you look forward through the genealogies and you do the math, well, what will come? Well, you discover that Methuselah died in the year of the flood. Fascinating, isn't it? That, you know, Lamech died a couple of years before the flood, and Methuselah lived all the way up to the year that the flood came. And so this 120 years is, of course, you know, it's, you study some commentaries, they'll say that Enoch named Methuselah Methuselah because he was a prophet, uh, and he prophesied that at the death, at the passing of Methuselah, it would be the catastrophic judgment on humanity. And so when Methuselah died, God's judgment came, the flood. In the same year in which Methuselah died, the flood came, and so God's judgment came upon humanity. So, you know, as you look at this and you think, okay, well, Methuselah lived longer than anyone ever lived. So then why do you think that Methuselah lived longer than any recorded human life? Remember, Enoch walked with God, and he translated into heaven. He he was no more, okay? Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. So we see Enoch was a godly person. Enoch named his son Methuselah. We see that Methuselah lived longer than anyone ever lived. 
So then why is it that Methuselah did that? Well, it, it was to show God's great patience before he brought judgment on wicked earth. God was being very patient with humanity. Now, if you look at the world today, the Bible says the thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years to God. And so based upon that math, Jesus has ascended into heaven for two days, right? Not very long. And so we see, we look around and we see all the things that are happening in New York and all these crazy things that are happening, you know, in politics and the world. And we say, God, what in the world? Look at all the things that are taking place. How is this even possible? Well, it's possible because God is very patient. You see, this was judgment for Noah's world as it will be for ours that is certainly seemingly delayed, but it is absolutely certain that there will come a day where all wrongs will be made right. That's a great place to say amen. Thank you, Happy. That's a fantastic place to say amen because there will come a day. It, it seems like the judgment, and, and so what happens is the same thing with the Israelites when Moses was on the mountain for 40 days, and they're down there hanging around, and they get discontent because they're being idle. They're not involved in anything, and their idleness, and what happens in their idleness is they begin to look around and find other things to do instead of the things of God. And those other things to do are the same other things that our world is found to do, is that they're taking images, and they're taking all the gold, and they're constructing it, and they're crafting something else to worship. And in their day, it was a golden calf. And in our day, you fill in the blank. And so what happens is, when God showed up, just like when Moses showed up, is Moses showed up and said, what in the world are y'all doing? And Aaron, if you'll remember, he says, I don't know. We toss gold in the fire, and out comes a golden calf. And that's exactly what our world will say is ignorance. Well, I just didn't know. Well, I just didn't know. Well, that didn't work out very well for the Israelites, did it? As a matter of fact, if you read in Exodus... You see that the Levites were called and 3,000 people perished that day because of their disobedience. 3,000 because of their other worship. And so we see that the justice of God is not something that will pass and that will not come to fruition, but it may be delayed, but it is absolutely certain. This is what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight people or eight persons, were brought safely through the water. God was being very patient. God could have made an ark appear. Noah and his family could have gotten on the ark. The Bible says God shut the ark. They could have gotten on it and ridden off into the sunset. And boom, instantly there could have been a flood. But that's not what happened. It was 120 years that Noah declared the goodness of God and the command that God had given him to do something, which was to build an ark that would rescue humanity, and only eight people got on that ark. You see, when Noah was asked what he was doing, Noah would declare the commands of God, not only by his words, but by his actions. By his actions. Noah said he believed Noah responded obediently. He made practical preparations for what God called him to do. And so his actions declared the commands of God. And so it's the same for you and for me. If we say that we believe in Jesus, then our actions will declare that. When we studied Hebrews 11.1, 1, I asked the question, how would your life be different tomorrow if you did not have faith? What would you do different tomorrow because you did not have faith? Or, said the other way, what will you do tomorrow because you have faith? How will you live your life in light of the fact that you live by faith? It should be different, right? And so Noah lived differently. He was the only one who built an ark. Noah lived differently because his faith caused him to act because of his trust in the one who commanded him. He acted by faith. Noah's life was a testament to the upcoming judgment of God. That there would come a day that God would judge the earth. 120 years seems like a long time. But there was no excuse for anyone. Noah's neighbors, the guy down at the local hardware store where Noah spent $7 million building the ark, 
right? No one had an excuse. Noah, why do you keep coming and buying all these supplies? Noah, my goodness, you, you've broken code. You know, the homeowners association needs to meet with you. You can't have a, a construction that tall on your property, right? And Noah said, God told me to do it, right? And so Noah just plowed forward, and no one agreed with him, and everybody thought he was loony. And by the third year, he was the craziest man in town. Crazy old Noah's building an ark. What's an ark? Well, who cares, Who cares what an ark is? He's got some giant thing in his yard. No excuse. For over 100 years, Noah stayed faithful to what God called him to do. Noah spent lots of money. Noah spent lots of time. Noah certainly got lots of ridicule for what he did. Sound familiar? Right? Sound familiar? Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus told the rich young ruler, if you want to come after me, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and follow me. Right? This is not an addition. Right? When you follow Jesus, it's not Jesus plus. It's either Jesus or nothing. Right? You can't come to Jesus and say, hey, I want to follow you, but I'm going to keep everything else that I've got. Right? How many of you, uh, at your wedding day, when the, when the doors of the uh, church opened up and you're standing down front, men, and your wife is back there, your soon-to-be wife, and when the doors opened up and she saw you for the first time that day, you had three other brides standing beside you, and you say, I love you, honey, but I also love these other three people too. How's that going to work out for you? The same way when we come to Jesus and we say, I want to follow you and I want all the benefits of a marriage with Jesus, but I want all these other things that I'm married to to stay. That's not how that works. And all the ridicule and all the money and all the time, it was absolutely worth it when those waters started falling. When the sky opened up and the first black cloud showed up in town and those few droplets hit, Noah said, we got seven days, we better get in the ship. It all made sense when they got on the boat. All of the money that Noah spent was all left behind because Noah believed by faith and he acted. Not one person responded after all these years of witness. Only eight people got on the ship. And so the principle for us about faith with Noah is this. It's that true faith witnesses by both word and and actions. The results, however, must be left to God. I was talking to some students a couple weeks ago, and uh, they were going out to uh, witness, to share their testimony, to encourage people. And uh, so they were nervous, you know, uh, it was new to them, and so they were nervous. And, and so I had an opportunity to encourage them, and I said, look, I want you to know before you go out, that there's absolutely nothing that you're going to say that's going to cause somebody to get saved, and there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to keep somebody from being saved. All the work is done by God, that you're just being obedient to, to declare the goodness of God. The Bible says that, well, that we overcome by the, uh, the blood of the Lamb, right? That's our salvation. And what? The word of our testimony. And so these students were just going out. I said, just go out and declare what God did for you in your life. And just tell people how Jesus has transformed your life. This is what I believe. This is how God changed my life. This is what Jesus is doing in my life. And so it's both word and it is actions. And so the end result of Noah's life was what? Well, it's salvation, which is why we're talking about Noah today. We're not talking about anybody else who drowned in the flood, are we? Nope. We're talking about Noah because Noah was obedient. And he believed that God was telling the truth and that he would do what he said he would do. And so the end result of Noah's life was salvation. You see, Noah was saved not because of his actions, but because of his response to the actions of God. He responded to God. Jonathan Edwards says this, he said, Uh, True religion, in great part, consists in holy affections. So essentially what he is saying here is that we are passionate about the things of God when we follow God. That we have holy affections for those things. That our passions drive our actions. You see, as we see with Noah, we must be very careful of obedience that is unemotional. 
that doesn't move us. There's so much information today. The Bible says in Daniel, in the latter part of Daniel, that information will increase, knowledge will increase, and, and transportation to and fro will be much, uh, much quicker, which certainly is descriptive of today. But as we talk about this obedience that moves us, that it ought to be something that grips our heart, that we become affectionate for. All this information that we've got is information overload. Information that doesn't lead to application is just useless information, right? If you become an expert in Greek or Hebrew, if you can quote a book of the Bible, that's fantastic. But if it doesn't move you to fellowship, well, then it's wasted time. It's got to move us. You see, God's truth should not only fill our hearts, and rather it should not only fill our heads, but it should grip our hearts as well. Why do you do the things you do for Jesus? Because of what Jesus did for you. And that's what motivates the believer to follow and to obey. And so I want to leave you with just a couple things of what happened here in summary with Noah. We see that God warned Noah. God warned Noah. He said, Noah, there will be a flood. And you, if you do what I say, you'll, you'll be saved, you'll be rescued, but everyone else will perish. And so he provided a way to escape that wrath. That way, of course, was an ark. And so he gave Noah specific instructions of what he should do in order to be rescued. And so in doing so, he showed grace and patience to Noah. You see, God was very gracious. He was very patient with humanity. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 4, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You look around at the world today and they say, well, I thought you said Jesus was coming back. Isn't that what the disciples faced shortly thereafter? Jesus ascended into heaven. There were people asking, now, you said He was coming back. It's been 100 years. Where is He? Right? That's what the world says. They look around, they turn on the news, and they say, how can you follow Jesus, you know, when all these bad things are happening? I thought you said he's coming back. Well, he is. How do we know that? Because everything that he declared that he would do up until this point, he's done. He declared that he would send water 120 years later. And he declared to Noah that he would rescue him if he would just obey and he would follow instructions. And guess what happened? It started raining. And it rained and it rained and it rained and it rained and it rained. And when the water got up to their kneecaps, people started asking questions, right? And then when it got to their waistline, people started saying, you know that, I remember there was, what was that guy? Noah, yes, that was his name. Where does he live again? Right? And all of a sudden, Noah's not so crazy. Because why? Because everything that God said he would do in the narrative with Noah happened. God followed through with what he declared. And so the encouragement for you and for me tonight is that God hasn't changed. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has warned you and me. He has declared that there will be a day, as a matter of fact, in many different ways throughout 66 different books, he says there will be a day to which every person will give an account for everything that they've done, good, bad, or indifferent. And there's a way that you can escape that wrath. There's a way that you can be rescued. You see, the Bible says that Noah, what does the verse say? That Noah condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. So everyone outside of the ship was condemned, right? But if we fast forward to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says this, there is now therefore no what? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in the ark, right? Think about Noah. There's no condemnation for the people in the ark. There's no condemnation for those people that are in Jesus, right? So they didn't, they weren't condemned. The Bible says that Noah condemned the world by his actions. And so for you and for me, God's provided a way for us to escape that through Jesus Christ. And he's been very, very patient. 
And he's being very, very graceful to you and me and to everyone, even those who uh, denounce the name Jesus, even those that don't follow Jesus, they are still creations of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his will is that they would come to know him. God is willing that none would perish, 2 Peter 3, 9, but that all would come to repentance. For God so loved the world, right, the, everything. So he's being very patient. He's being very gracious. But there will come a time when God will follow through with what he declared because he hasn't changed he's still a good God he still loves his creation he still provides a way but he is a just God and because of that he will follow through and so for you and for me what our faith ought to do is it ought to motivate us to respond very obediently to everything that we possibly can as we read and spend time in the word of God and make practical preparations right based on what God's word said build the ark Make practical preparations as we follow the Lord Jesus. Amen? Let's pray tonight. God, we are so thankful.